0: One of the people that went with me was Nancy Banninger, and at the end of the Fiacolata, she hugged me and said that this was one of the most memorable moments of her life.
1: You're listening to an American Red Cross in Greater New York podcast. Hello everyone, I'm Michael Pierre, Communications Officer with the American Red Cross in Greater New York. Today we're going to be sharing my conversation with Red Cross volunteer Vivian Moy. She's from Port Washington, New York on Long Island and is active in so many different areas here at the Red Cross. She helps after local disasters, she volunteers as a public affairs representative, she deploys to large-scale emergencies like the terrible wildfires in California last fall, and she's very active in our Home Fire or Sound the Alarm program. And if all that wasn't interesting enough, last June Viv traveled to a huge gathering of Red Cross and Red Crescent volunteers in Solferino, Italy. The birthplace of the Red Cross. After learning about this annual event and how the 2019 edition would coincide with the centennial anniversary of the International Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies, the IFRC, she took it upon herself to rally fellow American Red Cross staff to attend this trip as an unofficial delegation. What's really great about our conversation is how it reinforces this notion that while the Red Cross is the largest humanitarian network in the world, addressing massive global crises and emergencies, at its core, it's really hyperlocal. As you'll see, Viv has always been committed to her hometown of Port Washington. That's why she joined the Red Cross. But through her work with the American Red Cross in Greater New York, she was introduced to a much larger purpose, you could call it. One shared by volunteers across the world in 190 countries with the Red Cross and Red Crescent. And she met volunteers from so many of these countries in Solferino when she was traveling there. And so many of those interactions that she had with fellow volunteers focused on how a local community could be more resilient and how local volunteers could better address their own unique humanitarian needs. In essence, Viv traveled halfway around the world to Italy in order to strengthen our work here in New York. So to start off, Viv, tell us a little bit about yourself. Have you always been involved in community service?
0: I was always involved in community service in my town. I mean, it first started off uh, by volunteering with the PTA with my, uh, when my children were in elementary school and middle school. So um, I was on a lot of committees. And um, then after they got older, then I kind of spent my time uh, volunteering with nonprofits within my community.
1: And what is your community?
0: So I live in Port Washington, and it's a wonderful waterfront town in Nassau County.
1: Have and you lived there for a long time?
0: I've lived there for quite some time, maybe about 28 years. Yeah, I grew up on Long Island.
1: So what are some of those community groups, those nonprofits that you mentioned?
0: Um, the Community Chest, and I do a lot for the library. And um, and then I also volunteer for Island Harvest.
1: So you today you're one of our most active, compassionate, involve volunteers. When did you first connect with the American Red Cross?
0: Uh, So I came to the Red Cross after Superstorm Sandy. Um, We had um, opened up an overnight shelter at the high school in my town, um, but we didn't get any needy residents. And so they were about to close it. And then myself and a few other um, townspeople said, you know what, could we just keep it open as a day shelter? And so we got together with the town and the school district, and they allowed us to run a day shelter for about three weeks. Um, We fed people breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We let them charge their phones. We had an information desk where they can get information. It was just a place for people to gather um, while we were waiting for our electricity to come back on. Um, We streamed the presidential election, um, I think in week two, and we had a a trick-or-treat party, a Halloween party. Um, and it was so successful that the town came to us and the American Red Cross came to us and said, we want to duplicate this over Long Island. Um, And then the Red Cross allowed myself and the people that I was working with to be a ready-when-the-time-comes group, a co-ad, a community organization active in disasters. And so that's what brought me to the Red Cross. And then I became acquainted with Home Fire, and so that's what I primarily do for the Red Cross is I'm a Home Fire volunteer, Um, we're right now involved in this really large project, and we're installing smoke alarms in Co-op City in the Bronx, which is the world's largest cooperative, um, and so that's been taking up a lot of my time, and I'm also a visual storyteller for the Red Cross, so I take a lot of pictures, and, um... My last deployment um, to Chico, California was to the Paradise Fire, and I went out as public relations, and so I took pictures and gathered stories, and so I really enjoy that a lot.
1: Talk a little bit about some of your work in Paradise, specifically some of the people that you met that left a mark on you.
0: There was this one woman, um, and she told me that if her dog had not woken her up, she would not be alive today. Um, it turns out that the house next door to her home was on fire. Her do- She was taking a, a midday nap because it was during the day when this happened. And her dog came to her and just started pawing her and pawing her. And then she woke up, she smelled the smoke, she realized what was happening. She managed to grab her grandmother's ring, which was the which was on the counter as she was heading out the front door. The only thing, the only possession that she grabbed as she was trying to escape, she hopped into a, um, a friend's car who was outside, and they just tried to head out of town. But there was only pretty much one road out of town, and so it was kind of gridlocked. And the heat was so intense, it popped their back tire. And so you have to imagine, when all this was going on, The sky was pitch black from the smoke. And so even though it was daytime, you couldn't see a thing. There were explosions every couple of minutes from the propane tanks and um, I guess maybe gas tanks or whatever that were exploding. Um, And so it it was so frightening to be running for your life. And as you were running for your life, seeing sights that nobody should ever have to see. And so as she was heading out of town, she was telling me, of this one image that will forever be seared into her mind, and it was of a horse with its tail on fire, and it was running right by her, just like in the movies in slow motion. But um, she managed to get out of town. She hopped into another friend's car. They kind of took the back roads out of town because she had lived there her whole entire life. But it was just so sad to hear... Her talk about her her beloved town. I mean, I can only imagine how I would feel if Port Washington was burned to the ground. So the church where she got married, the school where she she you know grew up in, um, in the place where she worked was was all gone. But she got out with her life. It was horrific the things that they had to go through. But you know what? She had such a a wonderful. A wonderful, I don't know, somehow she, she was coping with everything quite well. Um, and maybe that was because we allowed her to sleep with her dog in the shelter. And I think that that truly helped a lot. And so she was telling me how thankful she was that the Red Cross allowed her to be with her dog at that time. Actually, several shelter residents had their dogs with them. And it was just of such comfort to them um, they had gone through so much together
1: Yeah, I was there for about 10 days I arrived 36 hours after the fires um, burned down the town of paradise and um, I was struck by the, the shock that people were in because they had really just run from their lives literally and I heard a lot of stories like that it was absolutely heartbreaking Um, but I was also heartened it was also heartening to see all the help that was coming in whether it was from Red Cross or from other organizations just a local community member Uh, can you talk a little bit about some of the volunteers that you encountered down, encountered in Paradise encountered in that area and kind of the camaraderie within the Red Cross well of
0: course every time you go on a deployment you meet fellow volunteers from across the country And, you know, the one thing that strikes me is that we pretty much all have the same level of devotion to the mission and that we are willing to do whatever it takes to be there for somebody in their darkest hour. So I've always enjoyed, you know, the friends that I've made um, on deployments. My family has been a big support to me. Um, any Red Cross volunteer knows that we couldn't do this without the support of our family because they're actually serving as well by keeping the home f- home fires burning.
1: So you just came back from a Red Cross gathering in Italy. When did you first learn about this particular gathering?
0: I found out several years ago from my friend Christophe Labrie-Bollinger, the former European Head of Migration for the IFRC, who is heavily involved with the International Red Cross. He really is the one who taught me about our history and the International Red Cross. And he had gone to this annual gathering um, in Solfrino, Italy, which is the birthplace of the Red Cross, um, twice. And so I knew that this year, The IFRC, the International Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies, was celebrating their centennial. And the United States is one of the five founding national societies, in addition to Great Britain, Japan, Italy, and France. And so because we were one of the five founding national societies, I thought we need to have a strong American presence in Italy this year. So another reason why I felt it was important to have American presence in Sulfurino this year is because the founder of the IFRC, Henry Davison, came from the greater New York region. And his wife, Kate, founded my home chapter, the Long Island chapter. And so I felt historically tied to the celebration because it was my home chapter and, and it was my region, it was my country. And so that's why I decided to do the best that I could to get other volunteers excited about visiting the birthplace of the Red Cross and um, being amongst um, fellow humanitarians from all over the world.
1: So, so. what happens in Solferino Every year.
0: So at this gathering, which has been happening since 2009, volunteers and staff from all over the world gather in the birthplace of the Red Cross, Solfrino, Italy, which is in northern Italy, to celebrate the movement. It's not just a celebration. It's almost like a pilgrimage and a personal recommitment.
1: How many people normally gather for such an event?
0: So anywhere from 8,000 to 10,000 people from all over the world normally gather. There's um, workshops um, to address humanitarian challenges, um, other meetings to share best practices so we can learn from one another. Um, And the learning doesn't just happen formally among heads of national societies. Um, the volunteers get together as well. Um, and youth volunteers as well get together to, to share about their country, their particular chapter, and what they do for their country. And this year, there was a international youth conference.
1: So the, the event was in Solferino. Can you just talk a little bit more of the significance of Solferino?
0: So anybody who's ever taken any of the IFRC classes um, will know that it was a man named Henri Dunant who arrived one day in Solferino to have a meeting with Napoleon about business matters. He arrived in the aftermath of the Battle of Solferino, which was the Second War of Independence for Italy. And he was horrified by the butchery that he saw on the field with soldiers, you know, just laying there in the the summer heat uh, with nobody to help them. And so he decided to organize the women villagers to take the soldiers from both sides of the war, didn't matter what country, what nationality you were from, he organized the women villagers to take them to a nearby town called Castiglione della Stivieri, um, to a huge church there called the Chiesa Maggiore, to care for them, and so some people were saying, "Well, why are you helping? Why are you helping all the soldiers?" And so they said, "Tutti fratelli, we are all brothers." And you can see when you go to Italy, that phrase everywhere: "Tutti fratelli, we are all brothers." So that laid the groundwork for for neutrality and impartiality. Um, in their humanitarian work. Um, so the signature event of the week-long festivities is called the Fiacolata. And so if you can imagine each country dressing up in their Red Cross uniform. Um, we start at dusk. We all get a red candle, which we, we light each other's candle. And we march from the Piazza Castello in uh, Sulferino, um, through the countryside, through the town, to Castig- Castiglione um, to retrace the steps of those women villagers back in 1859. Um, it is an incredible sight. Uh, at one point, and we start at 8 p.m., right? So at one point, I turned around to look behind me and just to see a sea of Red Crossers and Red Crescent volunteers holding their candles, singing, talking with one another, walking. It's a three and a half hour walk. Um, And just the sense of unity and humanitarian spirit was overwhelming.
1: So you must have connected with people from all over the world. Can you talk about some of the different countries that people represented?
0: At a luncheon, I met the secretary of the Mostar Red Cross chapter in Bosnia-Herzegovina. And um, after lunch, we had taken a guided tour of the International Red Cross and Red Crescent Museum, um, which is a wonderful museum in Castiglione. Um, And at one point in the tour, they show us a video of how the ICRC makes prostheses for men, women, and children who have lost limbs because of landmines. And as the tour progressed, I was talking with him, and I could see that he was very emotional. He had massive injuries because he was a soldier himself, and he had gotten blown up by a landmine and gotten severely injured by it. He was showing me all of his scars and he was telling me about um, fellow soldiers that he had lost in that particular blast. So, watching that video was very difficult for him. I had to um, sit with him because he started crying. And, you know, I realized that we all have different humanitarian challenges in our own country and perhaps ours aren't as challenging as war and famine and poverty. But the willingness to want to help the people of our country is so strong. And I said to him, what is your greatest challenge for you in your chapter? And he said, I need more people to be trained in first aid because of all the landmines in my country. And so that was his, you know, greatest challenge, because we asked him, how many volunteers do you have? And he said on a regular basis, it's my son and my daughter. But if something major happens, like flooding, then the townspeople will come out and help us. But here he is, almost like alone, or just his family, and day after day, he walks the walk. He doesn't just talk the talk. He truly cares about his community the way that I care about my community, but he has different challenges so um at the end of at the end of the week, he gave me a little box, and inside the box, he said, "This is a gift for your chapter for the greater New York chapter, and it's the key to my city and so um I thought that that was wonderful for him to do. I think he just appreciated um Joe and I sitting down to talk to him about, you know, what, what goes on in your country? You know, what are your, what are your, what are your challenges?
1: When you told people you came from New York, was there a, a certain reaction that you got? Cause not, New York's because obviously very political. iconic and no, no, not from the political, just oh, okay. from the, the fact that it's New York city, this iconic,
0: they were really excited to meet American red crossers. Um, I, we had a big banner that Desiree had given us. It says, American Red Cross. And when we went to the camp, I brought the banner with us. And so they had this giant step and repeat. It said, Dove not idea. Of course, I'm terrible at pronouncing it, but it it it's translated where the idea began. And so we were taking pictures with our American Red Cross banner in front of that step and repeat. And people were coming over to us and saying, oh, Americans, Americans. And so the people from Sierra Leone wanted to have our picture taken with them. Um, The people from um, Morocco were excited to meet us.
1: Was there a specific moment in the Fiacolata that you found the most memorable?
0: Yes. Um, The most memorable part for me was walking with the descendants of Henri Dunant. This was their first time participating in the Fiacolata. And through my connections with the IFRC, they joined us on the walk. And it was the, and and I'm sorry, I don't know how many greats it was, but it was like the great, 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 great nephew of Henri Dunant. They had come from Geneva um, to participate. And so it was wonderful chatting with them.
1: If you had one thing to tell your f- fellow American Red Cross colleagues about this trip and about the movement, what would that be?
0: I would recommend that they do anything they could to take part in these annual celebrations because once they get there, they will understand that they are part of an international family And while we all have different humanitarian challenges in our own country, we're all serving the same mission. And the sense of unity and becoming bonded with the people that you meet there, it will inspire them. It will motivate them. And I can't think of anything better than to have that. Happen to them in their Red Cross journey, whether they're a one year volunteer or whether they're a 50 year volunteer, they will be inspired. I think I came home with an enormous sense of pride. I was proud to begin with, but I'm even more proud now to be part of this organization that does so much good around the world.
1: And do you f- think that sentiment is shared? With the group of New Yorkers that went on this trip as well?
0: I definitely think so, um, that they had equally memorable experiences. Um, one of the people that went with me was Nancy Banninger, and at the end of the Fiacolata, she hugged me and said that this was one of the most memorable moments of her life. Cut!
1: Sorry. <laughs> you want a tissue? Can I ask you a last question? So we like to end these interviews with one question. And we've been asking everybody the same question. So what advice would you give to someone who wants to give back and help make the world a better place?
0: Well, obviously, I'm devoted to the Red Cross. So I would love for them to come and volunteer with us and really learn about the work that we do and the people that they'll get to volunteer with. I've met some incredible people. I've made lifelong friends volunteering with the Red Cross. But if it's not the Red Cross, that's okay. I have this hashtag that I use on Twitter, be the good in your community. And so whatever that means to you, whatever speaks to you in your community or your country, go and do that and be the good in your community.
1: Thank you so much for coming and talking to us, Viv.
0: Thank you for giving me this opportunity.
1: Big thanks again to Viv for taking part in the podcast. And to all of you, thank you for listening. If you want to learn more about the mission of the Red Cross here in New York, across the country, and around the world, visit redcross.org. If you enjoyed this conversation and want to hear more, please share, like, subscribe, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. As a new podcast, we really want to hear from you, our listeners. This episode was produced by Chi Kong Lu and edited by Sue Trigger. Special thanks to Michael Freiberg and Connor Lennon for their support. Thank you all for listening, and we hope you'll join us for the next episode.